Well, good morning, everybody. It's been forever, it feels like, since I've been uh, back here and we, Karen and I, have enjoyed a month away uh, visiting family and friends and um, apparently, apparently, some of what I've done is on Facebook. <laughs> Many of you are saying to me, oh, you've done some work on your cubby house. Yes, I have. Um, I don't know who put that there because I'm not on Facebook. <laughs> I do know who put that there. Um, but it's been good. It's been relaxing and we've had fun. Um, I, I started out my holidays with a list of about eight or ten things on the list. I've now got 15. <clears throat> um, I did some, but I did about less than a third of what I originally had planned for and feel like I've got to now take another two months holiday which the board flatly refuted on uh, Monday night. So I can't do that just at the moment. And I'm sure that the list will be longer by the time we get to another round of holidays. So it's good to be here. We've been watching online, um, Karen and I, and um, have enjoyed listening to Pastor Jasmine and listening to Phil um, on the last... It was the first... Uh, Father's Day was uh, when Phil... Uh, shared with you and uh, talked about the blood of Jesus. So I, I've really enjoyed that. And last week, Pastor Jasmine began our current series. It's called The Pursuit of Holiness. And, I, and she said this too. When we, when, I'm, when we talk about or mention the word holiness, um, ears switch off and think, oh, how boring. And, and I'm sad that, that we do that. We do, we do that. I know that. And, uh, but it's not to be that way. So whatever your thinking is this morning and whatever demographic you fall into today, this pursuit of holiness is not a choice. That's the title of the message I want to share with you today. It's not something we get to choose and there's a reason for that. And back in 2011, I shared a message, a series with you. Um, some, most, many of you weren't here in 2011, so I shared portions of that in 2018. And I know more of you were here at that point. And I shared in this series what God has called us to do in regards to living a life of holiness. And, and now 11 years later, after that initial 2011 series, while I am sure and absolutely confident I have a better understanding of what I actually said back then, I'm also confident that this struggle of pursuing holiness is constantly before me. I am also confident that I probably do have a better grasp of it, but in all honesty, um, I constantly am surprised at myself at how easily I find myself struggling in this one area. So this is a struggle for me. As much as I know it will be a struggle for many, in fact, I would suggest it's a struggle for all of us. So this is not something that we can get to and say, oh, I finally can tick that box and say that I've made it. Because this pursuit of holiness um, is, is one that's going to take us on a journey of a lifetime. And the key verse, uh, Jasmine, Pastor Jasmine last week read all of Ephesians 4 and 20 verses of, of Ephesians 5. 
And I'm not doing that. And, and one of the reasons she did that was because when we were talking about this series prior to my holidays, I said, Look, so much of what I want to say is in Ephesians, but I'm not going to have time to get through all the scriptures. So her reading that last week and going through that was a wonderful foundation for where we're going to head to in the rest of this series. And the key verse for this is Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. So she started reading this last week, but it says in Ephesians 4, 1 to 3 this, it says, therefore, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, this is Paul speaking, he's in jail, in chains, and he says, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. That word beseech literally means urge. More than encouragement, it's I'm, I want you to take that on board. I beseech you to walk your life according to the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing one with one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That will be, you'll hear that another time this morning, but you'll hear it a couple of times through this series because that will underpin the journey that we need to take as we pursue this life of, of holiness. And, and what Paul is describing in this passage, these just these few verses, is that he is calling us to live to a higher level of calling, a higher level of living. And it's, it's, it's one thing to say we're a Christian, but I've got to tell you that if, when I hear that word Christian in our society, there are so many people who call themselves Christians, I do not want to associate with them. I don't believe that, I, I think our culture has done this, but I think the word Christian has shifted in meaning over, over time. Some of it happened when we were, we were once known as a Christian nation when most of the people didn't follow the Lord anyway. So I, 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 I have this problem with Christians in the context our culture sees it. And you will not often hear me talk about being a Christian but being a follower of Christ because I think they're different in our culture at least. They shouldn't be different. The word Christian literally means little Christs, but our culture has shifted the meaning and we as church-going people, Christ-following people, have not always been replicant of, of what Jesus wants us to do. So Paul is calling us to this higher level of Christianity. It's not just reserved for some, it's there for all of us. And while holiness is something that I continually seek after, I, I sometimes miss the mark. I don't always hit the mark I'm trying to get. And I, I say things without thinking and then regret that because I've hurt somebody or, or things have come out in ways that I didn't really intend. I think things that are not always wholesome and, and I get frustrated at myself because that's not the way it should be. I react sometimes out of frustration rather than humility and thoughtfulness. And Paul tells us that that's where we should be walking according to the calling in all lowliness or humility and gentleness. So while this series I will be speaking on this pursuit of holiness over the next few weeks, 
I want you to know that I too struggle with this. And as I've been preparing, I've got more and more excited as I've been working through each of the ones for this series. And come, come my fourth one, um, I'm going to be sharing with you some things that are quite personal. And I, I, as I was preparing, I was getting more and more excited and I wanted to do that first, um, but I can't. So I think, I want you, oh, I'm not think, I want you to join me on this journey over the next few weeks where I'm going to continue to grow and as I share this, sometimes, you know, we think things, but as we verbalise it, it begins to make more sense. And that's what happens to me often. And I want to, you to join me on this journey as we go together in this pursuit of holiness. So Paul writes in Philippians, we, we did a series in Philippians not so long ago, but he, he's, I, I kind of join with Paul in this when he says, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold for me. That's my position today. I, I haven't got it, but I'm working towards it. I'm on this journey of holiness. So that's where my invitation is for us to join together, to grow together, to learn together, to, to mature together as we discover the un, unique and wonderful life called holiness and holy living that promotes anything um, that what God, the way that God wants us to do. But we live in a society that, provo- uh, that promotes anything but living in holiness. So how do we define holiness? Because this is one of the big things that comes up from time to time. And and as I was sharing during this past week with people on what the series was about, they said, well, I don't even know what holiness really means. What does holiness mean for us as Christians? Because I I want us to understand, it's while it's easy, oh, it's not easy, it's difficult to actually put a finger on the meaning of holiness. It's much easier to say what holiness is not. And I think this is where this will define it far clearer for you because holiness is not perfection. It's not never making a mistake. It's never, it's not living this perfectly godly, holy life and always doing with what's right. The reason I say that is because if that were the case, it would seem that God would be asking the human race to do something or be something that was impossible since we are born with a sin nature. And he doesn't do that. That's outside of the character of God. Leviticus, back in the Old Testament, he says, I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore consecrate yourselves and you shall be holy for I am holy. How does we do that once we have sinned? How can we be living the life of holiness? Peter reiterates that in his Later, epistle 1 Peter 1, he says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct." There's the key. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. 
Now, what Peter is saying is, is that holiness is not about never making a mistake, but rather it's more about why we do what we do. It's about the desire we have. So holiness is not achieved by keeping some ritualistic laws and, and sticking to some formula and, and praying some specific prayer and saying, oh, now I'm, I'm holy like God is holy and I can't do anything wrong. That's not holiness. But it, it's about the desire to live a life that is pleasing to God. It's, it's a heart choice. Holiness is, shouldn't be a foreign concept for the Christian because while we are perfect in Christ, our Heavenly Father is the one that does that for Him. He perfects us. But we can be holy, and God is not looking necessarily for no mistakes, although that would be a goal for us, but a purity of heart and motive. So we, when we do something, we do it with a, with a heart to do what's right. We may make mistakes in that. And that's what I, I talked to you before. I said, sometimes I say things without thinking. I'm not intentionally trying to do that. My motive is generally right, but it's wrong. So it's not about not making mistakes. It's about a purity of intent or a purity of heart, the desire to be like Jesus and the goal with, with which face, faith sorry, must ultimately lead us to do. So we have to recognise that. And that's probably where things begin to unravel for us as Christ followers. Well, most people who do give their life to Jesus Christ have a desire at the beginning to be more like Jesus unless we are constantly working at being like Jesus and living our life in a Christ-like behaviour, we will tend to gravitate back to where we used to be. The goal of our line becomes blurred. And rather than fully trusting in the word of God and living in obedience to his word, what we do is we try and solve our deep fundamental problems in, with fast and foolish sometimes answers. We try and meet our, our, our human needs, basic human needs, in ways that will be quick and effective and, and so we can get on with life. It's not that we don't have the God-given ability or capacity to be holy, but rather it comes down to our lack of discipline and motive within our own heart. Do I really want that because I see what's happening with others and they seem to be going all right and our desire is torn between doing what, what the world wants and doing what the, the, the scriptures tell us and we read the scriptures and say, well, that's just old-fashioned and we, we ignore the word of God and begin to live with a, with a worldly worldview. And rather than this desire to do God's will, somewhere along the way, we, our desire to do God's will shifts to meet our basic needs in some other way. And that's always going to leave us like something is missing or something is not right. That's going to make us have this feeling of, of guilt or inability to meet the standard. And sadly, many people, even attending churches, and many who have left churches because of that, 
are feeling like that today. I can't go to a church because I, they, there's all these hypocrites that go there and they say one thing and do another. And that's partially true. And I'm sad about that because it shouldn't be that way. So the question is, what are the basic human needs that we all have? We all have these. In fact, psychologists have come down to these five. Steve Deneff, who is the pastor at College Wesley in, in Indiana, he wrote a book some years ago now called More Than Forgiveness. He lists them in there and he tells us, and the psychologists of our time tell us whether you're a Christian or not. We all have these five basic needs that we need met to give us a feeling of being human. And the five of these are going to come up one at a time, but I want you to think about them. The first one is significance. The second one is security. The third one is innocence. The fourth one is intimacy. And the fifth one is hope. Now, there's five blanks on your paper. You can take a photo of them if you like, or you can write them on your sermon notes. But they're the five things that psychologists tell us that are our basic human desires in life. We need those five things filled to make us feel like we're actually making any point of living. And there are generally two paths that we can take in that to seek to fulfill those basic needs. Uh, I'll give you them both. So this is point number one and point number three, if you're following on the notes. The first one is the way of the world, is the first path that we can follow. The second one, which is point three, because I'm going to give you a third, uh, second one in a minute, is the a God honoring way, the way that one that will honor God. So that's point number three. But back to the way of the world. What is that pathway we can follow? Since we are all affected by the fall of the the what happened in Genesis chapter three, our natural default for living is to seek out to meet those five basic needs in a way that is selfish and sometimes a little perverted. We, we, at the time of the fall, disregarded God and decided to do things our own way. And so we seek to do them to seek self, to fill self-needs. And that's what's happened in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Eve and Adam decided that the, their way of being knowledgeable and right was to disobey God. They chose their own way. Those five basic needs were met in other ways than the way that God intended them to be. So now in our culture, even this is the same thing to find significance in our world. We will resort to having power and control and we will be prideful of the things that because that will make us feel good about ourselves if we can be in control our significance comes from being number one our need to be secure is met by hanging on to things and keeping them for ourselves essentially being greedy so that we can have what everyone else is having and having more than what everyone else is having so that we can be secure how many of us you don't have to answer this but how many of us have said, I just want to have enough so that I don't have to worry about things. 
I just want to have enough money so I can pay the bills. I just want to have enough comfort so I don't have to get sick. Or don't, I don't want those things. So our security comes in having enough and keeping it for ourselves so that we can actually live comfortably. It will give us a security of knowing that we have, that others don't have stuff. That's how we, we tend to think about it in a worldly view. So we recover our innocence we, we, by seeking the counsel of, of others where we confess our mistakes and to another person, where we just have to sit before sometimes hundreds of hours or, or, and, and usually hundreds of dollars to go with the hundreds of hours in therapy to try and help us forget the past so that we can have a new beginning and move forward and so we can recover the, the way we want to live so we can live effectively, to find intimacy. You don't have to go too far to understand this one. We, we resort to sex and that's across our nation and across our world. That's how we discover or we, we find our intimacy and to feel hope, we seek pleasure. We find hope in being fulfilled in, in the things that we enjoy doing, having holidays, having vacations that take us to places that, oh, love life. I have so much hope of looking forward to what we can do. And that's how our world functions. And along with our world, many Christians as well. Is it any wonder that from a world perspective, th that they can look upon the church and say there's no difference. There's no better people in church than there is anywhere else. So why would I want to choose that? But Christianity is meant to be different. Christ followers are not to be of the world, which is what scripture tells us. We, can, we have to live here but we are not to be like the world. We have to be different. We're called to live this life of holiness, living in a way that where we, are, we have set, been set apart to glorify God, to honour God in the things that we do. So this pursuit of holiness, of having right motives, is always to give glory to the, and to the Father, glory and honour to him, living in a way where we are set apart so that he can use us for his glory and fulfilling our basic human needs from a biblical perspective rather than a world perspective. And there is a, a way that we can do that and we should be doing that from a, world, from a biblical perspective. Rather than being selfish and perverted, it's a dying to self. It's a not being selfish in, in why we are doing those things, but we want to be selfless rather than being, uh, sorry, and a submission to God. It's choosing to do things the way that he wants us to do them rather than choosing to do things the way that I want to do them. So just as there are wrong ways or sometimes a little perverted ways in fulfilling our human basic basic human instincts, there are also some biblical ways that we should be doing that. Because those five, five basic needs are very real. You lose any one of those five and you lose the reason for living. And again, I tell you that if you look around our world, many have lost that. Because the things of this world do not meet our human needs. They don't. 
The scriptures tell us that the Son of God appeared on this planet for a reason. In 1 John 3, it says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning, and for the purpose the Son of God was, sorry, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. Because sin was in this world, Jesus is the manifestation of God. He was brought into this world for that reason, to do a way that he might destroy the work of the devil. That was the reason that Jesus came. And what sin does is try and replicate, or what the worldview does is try and replicate what God has done in a way that denies God's power and his authority. So we find that in our natural sinful self, we'll do things that are self-seeking and ignorant of God, but in a state of holiness, not only can we be separated from sin, but we can be made fully human, the way that we were meant to be human. We can be restored to what we were like or supposed to be like pre-Genesis 3, when God said he created man and woman and it was good, very good. Hell was not created for the punishment of human beings. It wasn't created for that. In fact, again, Matthew 25, Jesus is speaking, but he says, then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed in, into the everlasting fire. Listen, what, see what it says? Prepared for the devil and his angels. That's why hell was prepared for. It was prepared as an eternal punishment for Satan and his demons. Yet, Jesus tells us, if you read the passages before that and leads into that, and it, and it kind of summarizes it there, that it will also be the place of eternal punishment for those who deny Christ and follow the way of the world. So while it wasn't created for man, if that's the path we choose to deny God, then that's where we'll find ourselves. That's what will happen. And so num point number two, which you skipped over before, is what has God done about it? The remedy. And the good news is that God has provided a way of escape. He has given us a means of being able to get back to the way that we should be, to be holy as he is holy. A well-known verse, many of you will even have learnt this in Sunday school, but John 3.16 says that for God loved the world, so loved the world that he gave his one and only or his only begotten son. That's an important word, begotten. For that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God has shifted by sending Jesus Christ, he has taken away everlasting death and by believing in him we now have everlasting life. So no longer is hell a concern for those who trust in Jesus because Jesus has promised that we can be having an eternal everlasting life in heaven if we put our faith in him.
Ezekiel, Old Testament again, but it says, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his way, says the Lord. Repent and turn from your transgression so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Now, it's diff- sin and iniquity is different uh, slightly, but there is a difference. Sin is the thing that we do. Iniquity is the, is the, is the heart of why we're doing what we're doing. So what God is saying is that I forgive your sins, but I'll forgive the iniquity. I'll forgive the, the motive for doing that. I'll actually restore you at that point. And again in Ezekiel, he tells us, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit within you and I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, I'll give you a heart that's soft, and able to receive what I'm going to give you. A heart of stone will not receive anything from God. It's the heart of flesh. So back then we head on to the God-honouring way. So there's two ways, the way of the world and the God-honouring world. And God, through the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, and and the cross on, on which he died, the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sin has given us the opportunity as Christ followers now to gratify our basic human needs in a way that honours him. He provides for that. He gives us everything that we need. He has given us a means to live the holy life that is within the grasp of anyone, everyone, from the very youngest person to the very oldest person. And he's given us this opportunity to, for all who would seek it. So now, our, instead of meeting our human basic needs in the ways the world does, when holiness is our desire, the path to seek after God's heart, heart that's this, this pathway or pursuit of holiness, when we live the way that God's way desires for us to do, our significance is not found in power and pride anymore and building ourselves up. Our our, it's, our significance is found in humility and, and seeking after the good of others and blessing other people and being kind and considerate, looking out for their good, not making a name for ourselves in the process, but lifting up the name of Jesus and honouring him. That's where our significance comes from. It becomes less of self and more of him. And when holiness is our desire, we find our security, not in through greed and guarantees of, of people paying us back and, and not, in our, not in ourselves, but in the Lord for all things. We, we have our security in knowing that he will provide for us. And we can be absolutely confident that he will meet our needs simply because he said he would and he does not lie. So our our security now can be found in trusting in the Lord even when it doesn't make sense. And when holiness is our desire, our innocence isn't going to be found through secular therapy and and spending hundreds and thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours in in self-help and positive thinking kind of means. Since we know that God has forgiven our sin, since we know that our iniquity has been covered 
We can actually rejoice and and we can be restored into our innocence knowing that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. He has given us a heart of flesh. He has taken away the heart of stone and he has put this soft heart in me and I am made new. He's dealt with our past. Our innocence is restored through getting to know him. Christian counsellors will always, or should always, that's the, that's the point of Christian counselling, is to bring people to that point, to knowing what God has done. Pointing us in the direction of God's faithfulness and reminding that it's God is the one who can and will cleanse us from our sin and past sins. He wants to do that. So our innocence can be restored through knowing him. When holiness is our desire, when that's the pursuit of holiness is what we want to do, we find our intimacy not in, in, in sex and those sorts of things, but in as much in worship and honouring God as much as it is about anything else. Coming and joining together in fellowship and, and we can, don't have to be in church to worship. I, I enjoy watching little Abigail on a Sunday morning as she, she worships in her own little manner. She, did you see her this morning? Her eyes were closed at some point. She's just sitting there and, and worshipping. And don't tell me she's not because I have conversations with her afterwards or late at other times, and I know she is. This, this attitude of worship... We find, we, we find intimacy with the heavenly father who created us. And that's why it's important for, for marriages to be built on their Christian faith because true intimacy comes with a three-corded strand, not a, a two-corded strand. Young people, if you are in a position right now and you're thinking about what it might be for the future, you're thinking about potentially a mate or a future family. If you think of that without God, it will never satisfy you. Choose wisely. Don't choose a partner for life that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. You might think that you are the strong one and they're going to turn around. It never happens or rarely happens. Let me put it that way. It does happen occasionally, but the, by far more percentage go the other way. Don't put yourself into that position. That's why the scriptures tell us in 2 Corinthians, it says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And while that's talking specifically about marriage and relationships, it's not only, it only means that. That's in everything, business dealings. Make sure that you're on the same plane. Yet even though we are aware of that, even though as Christians, most of you have heard that passage many, many times, when we're attracted to a non-believer, we disregard that. We think, oh, well, it'll be right. It'll be Okay. Well, we think that they will change and, and we can be this positive influence in their lives, but rarely does that happen, as I said. If you desire to live a holy life and pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ, we will need to take what God says seriously. 
That's what's got to happen. He doesn't say these things to make life difficult. He tells us these things for our protection. He doesn't stop us doing things because he wants us to suffer and struggle in life. He gives us guidance to give us the best way to pursue the holiness that he wants us to have. And when holiness is our desire, we recognise that our hope is now found in Jesus Christ, not in the things of pleasure. The things of pleasure will always leave us feeling short-changed. It will leave us wanting more. The more money we have, have, the more we want. The more free time we have, I could have another few months holiday. The more time we have, the more time we want. The more we have, we are never satisfied with stuff. Our hope isn't in having more and more and having enough. God is enough. And if we want to pursue this life of holiness, we, can, we need to put our trust entirely into him. We, most of us constantly battle with having more, wanting to have more, feeling more, doing more. And I'm pretty confident that the things that I used to find fun when I was a teenager would not even appear on the radar of fun in today's teenager's life. I can remember, young people probably don't, but you, if, you're, if you're relatively young and, and older, who remembers the little dolly pegs that you used to put on the clothesline and, and those, and, and you used to make up all, they used to be a great craft thing. I think you can still buy them, but they're usually for craft now. They're not used to put clothes on the line anymore, but that's what they were for. And we used to have them when I was growing up. And my grandfather, he showed me how to whittle away and carve away a, a little propeller and we'd put a hole in the middle of the propeller, nail it to the top of the dolly peg and we'd stick it out the car window as we'd drive along. I loved doing that. <laughs> to see if we could rip this spinning thing so fast it flew apart. And I still enjoy doing that. If, you, if I've given a, a piece of timber with a knife, generally that's what I'll start carving, a propeller for that. We don't have the dolly pegs anymore, but it's, it's, I used to really enjoy that. And yet I'm pretty sure that that's not what would tick everyone's boxes right now. Because the reason is that pleasure has to get bigger and better all the time. What was fun for me is not going to be fun for you if you're younger than me. That's why if you go to the shows, the rides every year have to get bigger and better and more expensive. Because we're not satisfied with sitting on a merry-go-round. No, we've got to actually throw up. <laughs> That's what's got to happen. And if we don't throw up, it wasn't fun. And I tell you, you mightn't throw up so much when you're young, but you do when you're old. <laughs> and it's much worse. The Ferris wheel no longer becomes exciting to be at the top of the Ferris, <clears throat> Ferris wheel and stopped while everyone unloads and then they skip past you as you drive past the bottom, thinking, woohoo, I've got another turn. No, we've got to have these things that go up and and, and people have got killed, people have got sick, people lose wallets, people do all sorts of things in the name of fun. Because fun never satisfies. 
Our hope is not found in that sort of stuff. The holy lifestyle is at work, and it's why the temptation that we face is not necessarily evil. Evil comes when we meet our basic human needs in a a perverted, non-biblical way. That's what becomes evil. When we live our lives contrary to the way that God intends us to live. He's given us a new way, a way of escape, and it all is available to those who believe in him. It's a choice that we have. It's, 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 it's a choice, but it's for the Christian, it's not. Because where it's a command, be holy, for I am holy. It's not like if you feel like it, if you feel comfortable with it. It's not reserved for some super spiritual Christians, teachers, educators. It's reserved for those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Be holy, for I am holy. It's a, it's a way of life. It's a choice to live our lives that is on a pursuit of holiness. Holy in keeping ourselves set apart and making sure that our mind is set on the things of Christ. Not being perverted and diverted away from what God wants to a world set of standards. And it's not an impossible process for us. Don't think that this is too hard because God doesn't give us things that are too hard to do. He, it might be too hard to do it on our own, but he's promised us that he will be with us to the end of the age. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us everything that we need. His presence is constantly with us to help us be holy as he is holy, to live the life that he's called us to live. It just isn't in Christ and God's character to call us to do something that's not possible. The reality is I do believe that it's possible to love the Lord God with all our heart, our soul, mind and strength. I believe that is possible. I believe that that's what God desires of us. And I don't think that we are called to live as the world, we're to live in the world. We are to love our neighbour as ourselves, as genuinely as we love ourselves. We're to be kind and considerate, which is what Paul says back in Ephesians 4. Remember, he says, I urge you to walk your life worthy of the calling, your, your Christian calling with which you were called with all Loneliness or, or humility and gentleness, with patience or long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. This is a higher level of calling. I endeavor to keep the sorry, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of grace, looking out for each other, watching out for each other, not critical of each other, not judging one another so that we, we have these divisions amongst us, but this spirit of unity to live a life worthy of the calling. And that's the life God calls us. It's the life of holiness. Even if we could, it, it isn't, but to think that we could section off our Christianity from the rest of our life doesn't work. If you have given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, 
You have said to Jesus, take control. And it will be, I know it has been for me and I know it's for many of you, the best decision that you've ever made. We make mistakes. We all make mistakes. But the moment I recognise that I've made a mistake, my responsibility is to get straight down onto my knees and confess and be and confess that to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I have to deal with the fallout with people, then so be it. I need to recognise I have a responsibility to live my life according to the calling that which I have received. If you've never given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ or or you gave your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ a long time ago and you've been hurt, burned or critical of the church in the and since because it, it, it hurt you and it wasn't what you expected or were told it was going to be like, then can I say to you that the church that Jesus Christ is building is not always the same as every church that you will go to in this country or in this world. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Mistakes will be made. The life of holiness is not some easy path. It's going to be a daily choice for us to decide, do I do this? Do I say this? And when we think it, it's hard to stop thoughts coming into our heart. But when we have a thought that we know is immoral, improper, or a little bit perverted in some way, to confess it. It's a lifestyle change. And I promise you that if you've never done that, or if you've done it and rejected it at some point, the life that's going to end up best for you is the three-quartered strand of marriage or, if you're single, the two-quartered strand with the Lord Jesus Christ at the centre. It's going to be that way. So young people, seek God's way. Young adults, seek God's way. Young families, place God at the centre of your decision-making old people, be an example of a God-given life in your life so that others may look up to you and desire to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've talked in ages there, but some of that's in understanding and some of that's in when we gave our heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're someone who gave your heart to the Lord years and years ago, you were one of the old people, even if you might be relatively young. But if you're an older, aged person and you've recently given your heart to the Lord, you're a young person. Take heart with that. And God blesses us when we follow him. The church is sometimes full of that and I want to make sure that of people who are the super spiritual people on the outside, but on the inside... We're not so much like that. We're strong and compassionate on the outside, powerful and loving, but on the inside we're hollow and missing things and afraid and angry and really far from the kingdom of God. We can pretend very well. That's not the way we're supposed to be. 2 Samuel 16, 7 tells us and reminds us that God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance God looks at the heart. That was God's message to Samuel as he was looking to find a king to, re to replace Saul. 
And he led him to, led Samuel to the, the, the family of Jesse and his seven sons. And he went through all of them. The, the, the eldest son, very tall, strong, good looking. And God, that's what God says. You know what? Man looks at the outward appearance, but I'm looking at the heart. Right down to the youngest. And we now know him as King David, one of the, probably the best kings of all time that Israel has ever had. And that's the same for us. God's not going to necessarily judge us on our actions. He's looking at our heart. And if you this morning recognise that your heart is wrong, I want you to come forward and pray with me and, and just re make a recommitment or make a first-time commitment or make a stand of solidarity and unity that says, you know what? I want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be on this journey, I want to pursue holiness in my life. I want you to do that this morning. Don't be ashamed, don't be afraid, don't be scared, don't be nervous because, because God is with you and he is calling us to stand up to the nonsense that we are being told in the news feeds, in our world, in our community. The more they take God out of it, the worse our world is getting. We need you to, and I to stand up and be courageous. So how are you filling those basic, those basic human needs? Are you using a, a worldview or a biblical worldview? I want us to trust him. We each have a choice of how we will meet those five basic needs. But holiness for the Christian isn't a choice. And I encourage you to do that. Let me pray. And then as the music team come up, they're going to, uh, we're going to sing a song. And if, if you feel led, and I pray that there are many who do, who will come and stand with me. I'll stand over here, but you know what? If we spew out into the aisles and everything, it doesn't matter. But I want to, I want this stand of solidarity, of unity, of desire to pursue this life of holiness. Even if there's just one Let's do that together. And let me pray. Father, I thank you for the calling that you have given to each of us to stand firm in our faith, to put you at the, at the very centre of our life. And Lord, I know that there are some here today who have been hurt by the church in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ when in fact it wasn't even the way that your word tells us that we should be behaving. Greed and and. and Self-centeredness have been the centre of so many ministries and so many churches. Lord, we know that that's not what your word teaches us. We know that we, we can, we've all made mistakes, but we also understand that, that you know us as a human being and you know our the temptations and you have promised that you will help us and guide us and never leave us and you've given us a means. You've provided the remedy for us to come into your presence and be holy through the, the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. Thank you, Father, for your promises that you've always kept. And even though the world might look on it in, in fun and, and, and treat it with some discontent, Father, I pray that we might trust you and make a stand 
to stand with you, alongside of you, and to be the people that you've called us to do and join you, Father, on this journey and pursuit of holiness in our life. So, Father, thank you for your word. May your name be honoured. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.